Welcome to another episode of We Ain't Got No Podcast. Um, and that's that's kind of been true over the last couple of weeks or so because we haven't recorded in a while. But we do have a podcast now because we have returned to record a new episode on the 6th of December, the morning after the Leeds game. And as always, I am joined by Jimmy Funnel. Hello, Jimmy, and good morning. Good morning, Ram. It is quite... Quite a very well frosty morning where I'm at, but it's <laughs> you know it's 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 all good after such a convincing win. And yes, yeah, it's been a while since we've recorded, and we are quite sorry about that. But given the situation, the current global situation with the pandemic, it's been not easy for all of us. And yeah, it's 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 been quite a ride. So. Yeah, life Nevertheless, stuff getting in the Exactly, life stuff. We've all got a lot of things going on in our lives yeah. right now, Ram. So, yeah, that's just the way it is. But now we can finally talk some Chelsea. And Yeah, definitely. Uh, a frosty morning where you are, uh, presumably in Austria, a rainy morning in Bangalore. But one thing <laughs> that... Um, and we've, I don't think we've ever recorded the morning before, so that's the first... But the one thing I I think we're both very happy about at the moment is we beat Leeds. Oh, Quite, God, yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, personally, I was um, really looking forward to this game because, listen, I love I love Marcelo Bielsa as a manager and the kind of football he brings to the game is an absolute boon. I could I could watch several of their matches put together and I have been I have been following them for about two and a half years now. Ever since he was at Leeds, but it's uh, they just built up this entire beef with Frank Lampard when he was um, at Derby County, and that was uh, it, it's kind of it's kind of strange because I I admit that after Derby knocked out Leeds in the in the playoff semi final in two thousand nineteen, they they did not conduct themselves in a very good manner, which. I would always condemn, but then I don't know. I feel I feel as if Leeds fans have a sort of irrational hate of Lampard because of the whole <laughs> Spygate saga as well, uh, which was kind of much ado about nothing. But yeah, he also kind of knocked them. Out. No, he denied them promotion basically, so they hate him. And yeah, they're just getting at him every chance they can, which is understandable. But you know, it kind of it would give Chelsea fans an odd satisfaction for Chelsea to beat Leeds for the same reason. So. That's why I was I was really looking forward to this game to just to see what would happen or how they'd react if Chelsea won. And yeah, I mean I, I don't know if I, I interacted with a lot of Leeds fans because of the championship and stuff. But yeah, did you did you approach it with this whole angle? Well, I I still remember the games when Leeds were back, uh, way way back when Leeds were oh, still yeah. in the Premier League, and it's been a while. Uh, <laughs> and it was always a heated affair. And, that that's a good thing. I mean, the the real rivalry, which was fierce, you know, going back quite a few decades. Uh, now that I was, um, like most of us, it's it's you know it's something which the older generations, of course, know. But uh, in the early two thousands, uh, when Leeds had it had its high, let's say, mm-hmm. um. There was already enough to hate. So it's the thing is, 
objectively speaking, as I always try to approach things, um, they you know they've got for the size of their club, they've got a nice history. Mm-hmm. They've got a big fan base, a great stadium, and um, they've always had like a certain ring about it, Leeds United. And it's, yeah. you know, the, the quotation marks, glory days where they were in a uh, high with, you know, the likes of Lee Boyer and all that, and where they really did well in the Champions League that one season, um, you know, good for them and that did kind of bring them to the bigger into the bigger picture in Europe at the time but they fell into obscurity which from a Chelsea perspective was good and it's great to have a rivalry back uh, in Leeds but they proved yesterday why I remember not liking them Um, (laughs) you know Lorente the central defender came on for a debut was not easy for him of course but I actually loved okay and this is the next thing just have to quickly mention this mm-hmm. having fans back in the stadium was fantastic you know oh, only yeah. 2000 of them but the way they <laughs> mocked Lorenzo every time he got the ball after he made some tackles where Kevin Friends he didn't have things under control for me uh, at the start at least and um, that that was just fantastic to see, and it was great to see fans taunting Leeds, and you know maybe gave Chelsea a bit of a psychological edge. I don't know. I think I think it's hard not to say so because the first time in ages, the first time our new boys got to be in a, a stadium with fans, and you know it, it was despite a few shaky moments. A fantastic win in the end, don't you think? Yeah, definitely, definitely. I think um, it was nice that Lampard set up with the. He went back to the 4 3 3 with Havertz and Mount as attacking eights, as I kind of expected he would. Although I wasn't I wasn't definitely expecting Shiru to start up front, but then mm. as it was after he scored four goals during the week, it was, it was always going to happen. So I, I think. It was always set up to be a pretty chaotic game because Leeds playing the football they do, uh, high intensity, high pressing, man-to-man marking, and Chelsea playing the football they do. Both sides were always going to... I mean, the game was always going to be won and lost in transitions. So it was uh, it was always going to involve goals, but then I think Leeds kind of started quite well. And, well, it started well in the sense they were... They, they scored the goal, obviously. I think Chelsea were mostly dominating proceedings in for that brief 10 or 11-minute spell Yeah. before Patrick Bamford scored, and then Leeds suddenly killed us on the transition, as they can do. And when Patrick Bamford scored, it just felt it felt all too familiar, and I thought that we would get absolutely done repeatedly like that because we would, we would mm. have to step up our attacking attempt and stuff, intent. So, I was, yeah, I had this kind of sinking feeling after 11 minutes, but... We actually did very well. I thought, I thought we pressed them very well. Uh, who will press the pressers? Chelsea, it seems. And <laughs> we really, we really affected the way they played out of the back. Uh, we caused multiple turnovers in deep areas, although some of them didn't even lead to shots. 
but you know the I, I felt everyone was closing down angles very well and I think our wingers in Ziek and I mean eventually Pulisic and Werner were doing their defensive duties very well because Leeds use a lot of wide overloads in that kind of attacking midfield space and it's very important to track runners at that time so yeah that was it was great I think I think Lampard deserves some amount of credit for the way he set up the team even if it was more or less our our standard our standard shape I think um I think the way everyone performed their roles was was absolutely brilliant I think I think everyone was very very good uh, to a fault except maybe Timo Werner in certain situations <laughs> so yeah, yeah I'm, I'm, I'm not sure what yeah. you have to think about that uh yeah I think Team Team of Earth is a point that we can still address then in on its own because yeah. uh, everyone was good. Though, I agree. Um, that first goal, I felt like for the first time, and I, I it's very very harsh of me, and I, that's why I don't want to really go into much detail here because one of the the players which probably we would have expected to have the least influence maybe because he was an unknown entity has been Edouard Mendy. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, as we haven't recorded too much and once again, apologies for that. Uh, we haven't been able to rave about him recently and we, sh- we would have, and yeah. we should now yeah. because he has been fantastic. Yeah. I feel like he could have maybe done a bit more gone, you know, been a bit more decisive uh, on Bamford, but then again, maybe he yeah. would have then, uh, you know, he, he maybe that was the safe route because he believed in this team, yeah. And he knew, okay, even if they we do concede here, we'll be able to get back into the game, which we were able to get, uh, you know, to achieve. So all, all then, all ended well, and that that's 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 the main thing. But um, generally speaking, I think he could have done a bit better there, but. Yeah, I think we it was the closest he came in his Chelsea career to making an error, I guess. Yeah, first exactly. time. Yeah. Mm. Mm. So yeah, I mean he he'll know that, and after that that goal against Liverpool, he was furious, and which I love because it just you know every time when Kepa um, conceded, you just felt like he was ah. <laughs> But you know, it meant Monty really seemed like he was he was he was furious. Uh, not maybe not, you know, just with his front men, but also with himself because he's just has a standard that he set himself, and that's fantastic for us because after that he was very solid. Um, okay, yes, Leeds hit the bar, uh, the post. Sorry, um, but that was offside anyway. Close, yeah. but yes. Um, yeah. But generally speaking, was very, very solid at the back then. He barked out his orders, as always, and that he's been one of the stellar performers this year. And yesterday was no no different there. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think I think also um, Kurt Zuma could have done slightly better for the first mm. goal because in general, I felt as if he was kind of struggling with Bamford's movement. Bamford is... Um, he, I feel as a Bamford is a particularly intelligent striker and he is very, very good with his movement and he's adept at 
uh, finding the right spaces and right runs to make in between centre-backs or off the shoulder. So I think Zuma took his time to kind of acclimatise himself to the way Bamford plays because it's not like a lot of other strikers in the Premier League. Yeah. And for that reason, he was kind of struggling for maybe 20, 25 minutes. Uh, he, Bamford seemed to leave him in a... I don't know, in a, in a tizzy every, uh, every time he, he made runs. But I think Zuma eventually adapted and stepped up his game a lot. And he went on to have a brilliant a brilliant game after the maybe 25-30 minute mark onwards. Mm. So that was good from a personal standpoint. He, he ended up winning that personal battle. And I suppose we, uh, we should... I mean, we ought to talk about uh, Mason Mount... Because I think, uh, personal biases aside, I feel as if the issue with Mason Mount last season when people said that, um, you know, his passing and stuff wasn't great. And I just felt as if the role he was playing didn't allow him enough freedom. Or I, I I don't know what exactly it was, but Mason Mount has always possessed uh, exemplary ability to pass. He's always been a very yes. good passer for the ball. It's just, for whatever reason, he's really um, kind of rediscovered the freedom to pick passes out now. Maybe it has to do with him playing in the system in this role. But I thought he was he was very good. He he created just one chance from open play. The rest were all very good set-based deliveries. But in general, I felt as if he was um, playing with added intensity. Maybe he hates leads. No one knows. But I, th- I think he does. Real uh, chills, boy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, so he, he was playing, not only was he playing with an added intensity, but his passing was spot on throughout the entire game. Mm. And he, he could have easily had a couple of assists. And especially, you know, that, that left-footed early cross that he put in for uh, Giroud, I think. It was, or, uh, Giroud or Warner, I forget. I think Warner. But it was, yeah, Warner. It was... That was that was a peach peach of a cross, very similar oh, yeah. to what Calvin Phillips did for Bamford. But yeah, um, I think I think Mason Mount is. If there was any doubt as to why he plays every game before this, then that doubt has surely, or has almost surely been vaporized by now. I don't think anyone can doubt him really. Him and uh, I think Reese James was really good as well. What do you, would you agree? I mean, he's thoroughly established himself as the starting right back now. I mean, yeah. it's been it's been clear for a while, let's yeah. say. Yeah. Let's be honest, but uh and and you know, it's great to see Cesar Spilicueta. He's okay with that because he knows there's somewhat a changing of the guard now. Um he's no longer the youngest and Reese James has just been that good, you know. Not yeah. only for Chelsea has to be said, also in an England shirt in the meantime. Um and yeah, he, it's just every cross he gets into that box. I think it was like one cross yesterday where I thought, okay, he can do better than that, Reese. But otherwise, every cross he gets in there is just dangerous. You know, we saw that just to refer back to the Seville game as well. Mm-hmm. That combination, I mean, I know, C- uh, no, it was Cesar Piliqueta who played there, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, yeah. yeah, then I got that wrong. Sorry, which. The game beforehand, yes, it was against Tottenham. He Tottenham, also yeah. got in, he that was it. Sorry, uh, he got in several dangerous crosses in. But the problem was, of course, that 
with Tammy Abraham in that game, he just wasn't up for it, you know, mm-hmm. for whatever reasons. Uh, I feel like the combination of Reese James and Olivier Giroud is a match made in heaven. And I've been raving about Olivier Giroud in the uh, community lineups for a while now, and I've been wanting him to be in the lineup for a while because I just feel like he gives us a different dimension. And he has, I, I feel like the pundits summed him up quite well yesterday that he just makes everyone around him play better, even if he might not be scoring, you know, bags of goals. Yeah. And that's just so appropriate. And I know he's 34 years old. He'll probably leave at the end, at the latest at the end of the season. And um, yeah, he'll, he'll never be in that elite tier of striker, although he, you know, he matched Thierry Henry's record for France yeah. and scoring and all that. Um, but if he's what, if he's what does this team well at the moment and Tammy Abraham was quite good when he came on as a substitute yesterday, you know, mm-hmm. if he can be that, that role for now yeah. and fill that role for now, that's fine. Then let's do that. You know, we'll just take it as it goes. It's the same as a stopgap with Thiago Silva, which is working well. Um, Chelsea has to just play those players or Frank Lampard has to play those players mm-hmm. that do the team well at the moment and Olivier Giroud is doing exactly that and to come back to sorry to Mason Mount the same is the case with Mason Uh, I know he's had his harsh harsh critics over the past year and we've been basically saying every time on here that that's uncalled for the criticism he's been facing is (laughs) just ridiculous where there have been from wishing him death to to writing his father, his family, which had nothing to do with it, he should stop playing and he for the if he knows what's good for him, all these kind of vile and atrocious things that so called fans have been doing. Over the past weeks, Mason Mount has been an absolutely essential part of this team. He's been what's made this team tick, you know. People can say Kai Havertz, oh, he's exciting. Of course he's exciting. You know, we spent a lot of money. He's a very, very exciting prospect. But he has had his difficulties acclimatizing. Yesterday again, you know, he was really my first choice to be substituted, as sad as it makes me, because I really do like him. But Mason Mount, not for a second did it cross my mind that he should ever be substituted, because he's the work ethic, the, the, the shift he puts in, Every time, and as you mentioned, the eye for those passes now that he's gradually building up mm-hmm. to have every game. And yeah. I cannot emphasize enough how fantastic it is that now that he's continually taking corners in the set pieces, yeah. he beats the first man. He and does. you you go over to Arsenal Fan TV, and I know one shouldn't, but, you know, Schadenfreude and all that. <laughs> um, it's the same as it was for Chelsea, he is William, and I don't want to stay with him. You know, there's no no point in bashing players that are no longer on this team. But yeah. he can't beat the first man. That's still, you know, that's still a thing for him. And now we have someone who just does exactly that time mm. and time again. And uh, I think that the dynamic here, that Timo Werner takes penalties, he takes the set pieces in variation with Reese James, who, you know, if it's a bit 
on the wing. He just can whip them in. And then Hakim Ziyech on the other side, who unfortunately got injured. And I think that's also something that we should mention because uh, after this, maybe because, yeah, another another injury, unfortunately, to him. But yeah. he, he's been absolutely fantastic. And it's great to see. And I hope it continues with Mason Mount and his meteoric rise over the past year where he will become, for me, a Chelsea legend in his own respect. Yeah. And I think that is something that cannot be emphasized enough. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Brilliant. I think you sound very well. It feels feels very cool to see someone who can potentially become a Chelsea legend in due time at such an early stage in his career. I mean, it's definitely a first for me because I didn't see Lampard and Terry when they were when they were that young because I was probably like four years old or something. But yeah. Mm. Um, yeah, I guess uh, we take a short break now and return with some more talking points. And we are back uh, after our first break of this episode. We'll be continuing the Mace Mount Love Fest um, <laughs> with just more of a realistic view on one incident yesterday you know it's great that we have been in such fine form recently and we have been defensively sound but yesterday Leeds were able to expose us in some instances to a certain degree um and one incident was a penalty incident com- combining i think uh, ben chilwell was the aggriever yeah uh, or the aggressor against, I can't remember his name, to be honest, uh, Povado or what? Povado, yeah. Povado, yeah. yeah. Um, where Ben Chilwell basically clipped him and he could have gone down and Leeds would have rightfully received a penalty and the game might have looked, you know, ended quite differently. Um, yeah, Ram, what, what did you think of that? I mean, was it a penalty? Well... Yeah, it was it was pretty obviously friendly. I think I think Chilwell got pretty lucky with that one. I think uh, there was a similar situation uh, with uh, Danny Welbeck uh, last week where a penalty was given. So yeah, there was a uh, very very minute differences, and yeah, we we kind of got let off the hook because Poveda was mm. um, tackled by Chilwell in the area, and I think that was uh, it's an it's ultimately a failing on uh, VAR. So. <laughs> not much more I can say about that. I think we got lucky, but I think in the, on the balance of play, we just we created a lot more chances than them, and it reflects on the oh, yeah. expected goals and everything as well. So I'm not, it's while while I can concede that that probably should have been penalty, I'm just tipping it down to variance that I don't know if you simulated this match uh, a thousand times, then maybe in some of them penalty would be given, and in more of them we would have taken other chances. So. Yeah, I'm not going to get too hung up about it, but if yeah, it's probably just a criticism of VAR more than anything else. Oh yeah, I I mean of course, and we should be concentrating on the happy things, which there yeah. were lots of yesterday after a very very great win in midweek. So it's been a fantastic week for Chelsea fans. Um, but yeah, you know it's always good to stay realistic, uh, be realistic, and uh, objectively speaking. For me, it was a Stonewall penalty, and we were lucky in that respect. Um, because despite our 
dominance and many many attempts i think we had like we ended up with 25 to 9 chances yeah where chelsea you know if we would have ended in double figures no one would have bat an eyelid really if we're honest uh because it was just that convincing and we had that many uh you know great clear-cut chances but it just goes to show the 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 deficiencies with vr once again because we don't want a player to throw himself to the ground i absolutely detest that and by not giving a penalty yesterday there it just once again underlines the problem with refereeing in England at the moment because you know why why should a player not go to ground then because he won't get a penalty you know some will say maybe Marcel Marcelo Bielsa will even tear into him after the game and say why the hell did you not well actually I think he encourages his players not to do that so that's a good thing I don't mm. like Bielsa as a as a person, really. I have to admit, but that is a, a very good trait to have, and I'm sure Frank Lampard would do the same. Mm. Um, but you know that honesty costs leads two points uh, a point yesterday, possibly. I, I I still think Chelsea would have had everything they needed in the locker uh, to s- still win that game. Um, we did score that third, but. Uh, game was pretty much done dusted uh, by then so yeah it's it's a shame to see and i really hope that they get that fixed because if we were the other way around we would want that to be a penalty you know and uh, honesty shouldn't be punished let's be honest so yeah that that has to be worked on but i think enough said about that and it's just good to, to address it maybe and now we have to come to maybe the more pressing issues after yesterday and the one thing on the one hand there's team of Vern and the other the injuries that ha- occurred l- yesterday um maybe starting with the latter Hakim Ziyech has been great but he's mm-hmm. injured he's, again uh should we would be worried about that round that has happened uh in ready for a second time and it yeah looks hamstring could be a few weeks yeah I, th- I think we should be worried uh because i i just i find myself saying this a lot maybe because i didn't realize it for a number of years but uh, ziek is the best passer we've had at this club best passer of the ball since Cesc fabricas left oh yeah so it's uh what, what since he's been playing i've kind of progressively realized just what we were missing all these all this time and it's kind of been incredible <laughs> and it just further highlights the reliance we had on you know a dribbler like hazard or something but yeah it's uh it's been incredible he's added an extra dimension to our team with his creativity and uh, awareness of passing so for him to be out at any time and to suffer to two such injuries in a short span of time is quite worrying so I hope he will be back soon. But when when Pulisic came on for for Ziyech, Pulisic being someone who returned from injury recently himself, I was it was as if I had almost forgotten what a good dribbler Pulisic was, <laughs> because he was he, he was 
he was incredible he was uh, turning so well his his turning is just so smooth he can he, he barely oh, yeah. has uh, he barely has any inertia while turning he can just switch direction so easily and dribble or run into the penalty area or into the final third in such a direct manner i love it his his ball carrying ability is is probably going to reach elite levels very soon so it's a uh, yeah it's weird in the sense that Callum Hudson-Doy is a lot more similar to Hakim Ziyech than he is to Pulisic because i think what goes amiss with Callum Hudson-Doy is his passing ability is a very very big asset in my opinion apart from you know his willingness to cut inside and take a shot from the corner of uh from the corner of the penalty area so yeah yeah i think uh this probably means more chances for Callum in the short term but i think uh we we will miss zeck a lot i just hope that he's not out for very long and i hope pulisic can at least stay fit in the meantime because he has um i, I think it's kind of time to acknowledge this now but he has kind of shown a tendency to miss significant amount of time injured as well yeah and i think i i, I think ix he didn't necessarily have this problem so it's a bit worrying that it's now occurred. I mean, he did, of course, end his Ajax career with an injury um, and then start his Chelsea one with one. So that's not good signs, as you already said. Um, mostly because, you know, I, I wholeheartedly agree. He is the best passer we have at this club and it's been a while. <sighs> Having those... Dangerous, dangerous crosses be whipped in out of nowhere, just with such an ease, uh, with a left foot on the right, and we've been missing that so dirly. <clears throat> uh, since I and Robin, if we're completely honest, you know, we haven't had a, a left-footed right winger since I and Robin. That says a lot. So to be missing that, that especially in the period coming up, which is going to be very, very congested schedule-wise. It hurts, mate. It really does. Uh, couldn't agree with you more there. Yeah. But that's just something we have to deal with. We have the squad, as you mentioned, with Christian Pulisic, who you rightfully mentioned he, he was good when he came back on and dribbling was fantastic. That's maybe something that um, Team Avanda doesn't do or doesn't offer on that position. Uh, just to kind of smoothly transitioned into the team of Werner um, mm. point uh, team of Werner. He ha- just has the pace and of course he can dribble. He showed that the other week, I think against Newcastle mm-hmm. uh, where he just cut through and then uh, was clear on goal, which was great to see, but the dribbling ability uh, and the ability to take on his man with technique and, of course, Pulisic also has pace, blistering pace, no doubt about that. But just the way he did it on a few occasions yesterday where he just played with the opposing player, it's just great to see. And I think that's why, for me, having Pulisic on that left and Hakim Ziyech on that right is or are our best options there, our strongest ones, because they just offer basically everything. So, yeah, 
that is maybe the major downside of yesterday that Siak will probably be missing until the after Christmas even. Uh, you'd expect with that kind of an injury. But Timo Werner, Ram, um, as you mentioned at the start, probably the only, I don't want to say downside because he had a great assist uh, and he overall his play was good um yeah as it has been it's just his his the situations in front of goal hey uh <laughs> what did you make of that 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 initial chance you know after they just scored leads and then Giroud I think it was heading it down and I can't explain what happened there to be honest yeah uh I don't I don't know. I think we can let him off for that one. That particular incident was probably something that won't repeat itself many times. But in general, I think um, I think it's just Timo Werner uh, not being a very clinical finisher, which is the kind of overarching point here. He has obviously scored many goals, and he has several very very excellent traits such as his pace and his movement and his awareness but finishing by by past i i don't i don't know if you've actually brought this up on the podcast when you've discussed Warner before but he's he he has incredible movement to set himself up for chances so every game he'll probably get at least one decent chance on goal and this obviously mm. re- reflects on his, you know, expected goals and stuff as well. But he's not um, meant to be, you know, an insanely clinical finisher or something. So if someone were to say, for example, that Abraham and Werner are comparable levels of finishers, or that Shiru is the best finisher at the club or something, then it, it wouldn't seem, it wouldn't seem like a completely blasphemous statement for me to listen to, because. I think this is what will happen with Werner, apart from the absolutely weird goal line clearance he made for them. Uh, it might might so happen that Werner gets himself on the, on the end of a number of one-on-ones and stuff and doesn't have a great conversion rate on them. But I think what separates him from someone like Morata or something like that will be his attitude oh, and yeah. his physical intensity, which he, which he really adds a lot with to the game. So I think as long as we... Uh, kind of acknowledge that maybe it's not Werner's entire game to be like an insanely clinical finisher. He's, he's a good finisher, no doubt, but he's not like really clinical. So for, for, for the lack of a better objective. So as I think as long as we accept that and are willing for, um, you know, finishing duties to be split amongst Giroud and Abraham and one of the three excellent strikers that we have in this club, then we'll be okay. I think, it's just uh, it's just the way things are. It's not that it's not that Werner is bad or anything like that. It's just uh, part of part of who he is as a player, I suppose. So there's not much we can do about it. But he will he will obviously be a top player for us this season. I think he's already contributed so much uh, in goals, whether that's via scoring or assisting. So he'll be fine, I guess. Uh, yesterday was an off day in particular. But would you agree with me insofar as saying that? Um, He's not particularly a very, very clinical finisher. I mean, having followed him in Germany and stuff. Yeah, no, I mean, this. I think many Chelsea fans have ignored this or just didn't know. 
Um, having watched Timo Werner numerous occasions before he joined, uh, you know, he, he, you see him in the Champions League now and again, and you think, oh, great. And uh, I'm talking now at Leipzig. And already, to be honest, at, at uh, Stuttgart, um, the thing is that with Werner, he undoubtedly has the right mindset. You know, he is, he has that kind of attitude where you say, this is what we want to be having in a striker or any, any position, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, th- that's just the kind of guy that you want to be having in your team to just spurn the team on and uh, give it his all. From the get-go, this has been the case with Timo Werner. That's something which I absolutely adore about him. But, but, but it's been known forever in Germany that Timo Werner isn't someone who will finish off every chance he gets. He has had clinic issues with being clinical ever since his Stuttgart game days. And that there, he really, really illustrated it on a permanent basis, really. I mean, of course, he scores goals because he just gets that many uh, chances, you know. He... he as you mentioned, Ram, quite rightly, his movement is everything. You know, it in in a way it reminds me of Fernando Torres before he joined Chelsea, because with his blistering pace, which Torres unfortunately lost uh, yeah. after his very serious injury, and getting into those positions, that it's just that is Timo Werner. Unfortunately, Torres was more clinical than him. Mm. Um, you know, Timo Werner isn't the kind of guy that he just needs this one chance and he'll score. Uh, he, he has had games where he scored on the first chance he's gotten. But if you remember back, most of the time it wasn't the case. You know, Timo Werner, he'll need a few chances to get going. And uh, that can be a good thing or a bad thing. You know, he's scored four goals in 11 games in the Premier League this season, which yeah. is... Um, Okay, you know, it's his it's, first season. Yeah. yeah, it's fine. I mean, considering he's kind of been playing on the left as well, but yeah, exactly. Yeah, and we we have found out in recent times that that was one of the reasons he joined or wanted to join Frank Lampard's project because Lampard said from the get go, you know, I don't see you in this one position, but in in several, and we'll just have to wait and see how that works out for you and. Uh, yeah, you'll be playing, but just in different positions. And that is something that enticed him. So good for him. And he has been consistently performing well. But, you know, taking his chances, that's something that we were struggling with yes, uh, yesterday, sorry, last season. Yeah. And we don't want to be struggling with it this season. And, you know, for now, it's not harming us because we, we're winning games. Yeah. Quite convincingly, because, and this is an integral fact, and I'm sure you agree with me here, Ram. Mm-hmm. Having, I think, 13 different scorers in the league this season already, after, you know, just a, a quarter, uh, no, a third of the, the season go yeah. by, that's great. I mean, brilliant. that that is brilliant, isn't it? It's, it is, definitely. It's, it's so it's, important to spread the goals around, especially after, I mean, where. We're one and a half seasons ahead of losing one of our biggest contributors in attack in the last decade, easily. So, 
it's yeah it's especially important for the coast to be spread around whether they're coming from Chilwell or Pulisic or, or any any one of our three strikers or Mason Mount so it's good it's very encouraging but uh, on Werner he was he he definitely showed us an another aspect of his all-round game by providing that lightning assist for Pulisic didn't he yeah that was um I thought that was brilliant and uh, a key example of how Werner can be so threatening on the counter and on the transition. And on Pulisic as well, it just kind of highlights the goal threat that he adds because he's always making those runs uh, towards the centre of the area or attacking the far post, which is uh, very important if you're uh, especially looking to add goal threat from your wide forwards in a 4-3-3. So I think, yeah, a very very promising signs all around and probably before we move on to discussing other things a word for Thiago Silva who uh, <laughs> he's he's looking pretty damn good isn't he I mean you, you watch him and it feels wrong not to just continually go on singing in your head oh Thiago Silva yeah because it's just that kind of guy I mean he's 36 years old we were mostly all excited about him. Of course, he had his doubters from rivals and all that. But he just this is such a blast from the past. He is one of those players from the ilk of of uh, a John uh, John Terry, you know. And of course, John Terry won more, in my opinion, and he was a better player than Thiago Silva all round. But uh, Thiago Silva is one of those last remaining players of that bracket, world class from a different generation of footballers from those, you know, those so many greats where you say living legends nowadays. He is one of them. You know, he is one of them. And we are graced with him in this team at the moment. And he's a leader. He, we, we were discussing about this at the start of the season. Oh, could he become the captain? And due to as Piliqueta and Jorginho, so captain and vice captain, no longer being regular starters, Mm-hmm. He's just taken that up, you know, and yeah. he barks out orders even if he doesn't speak the language fluently. And yeah. with Mondi also helping him out in that front because he's also a very vocal goalkeeper. Thank you, God. Um, this is just working out fantastically well. And I'm sure it's also down to that defense. I mean, mostly yeah. speaking French. And he's just he's just bossing it. I, I absolutely adore the guy. And that. I have been thinking about getting a Chelsea shirt this season with Thiago Silva on the back because that <laughs> is just something special. If yeah. we, I, I really can't emphasize enough how much I want us to win something. I don't even care. Well, it can't be the League Cup anymore, but something, no matter what, just something that we can say Thiago Silva was here and he immediately won something with us because he deserves it and he's just mm. that good. He does. I think he... It feels as if he exudes the air of being a consummate professional and someone who has lasted this long at an elite level in the sport because of the way he preconditions himself and just just carries himself and maintains his 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 physical health and everything overall. Because he uh, to transition from a league like uh, league, uh, especially when you're when you're in the highest quality team in that division and walk into 
a Chelsea side, which isn't the best team in the league, but, you know, developing and in a very tough league, then, yeah, it's it's a very, very commendable feat given his age and how he's just seamlessly adapted. I suppose the quality was always there, no question, but the fact that he's adapted without question, you know, apart from that one hiccup at West Brom where he got caught out, he's he's just been excellent. And, yeah, it's, it's like he exerts a sphere of calm whenever he's on the pitch now. And I think that's wonderful. And I think um, despite my woes of Lampard not using Tomori anymore, uh, Thiago Silva and Zuma is probably our best centre-back combination at this moment in time. It is, yeah. So that's, uh, yeah, it's wonderful. I think he had just, yeah, another credit to the transfer window we've had, I suppose. (laughs) But uh, speaking, speaking about the transfer window, um, just a small, small question I wanted to ask you about Kai Havertz. He didn't look especially good yesterday. I think, no. uh, see, th- there could have been a number of reasons for that. But I just, it, it, I, w- I won't say I saw this coming, but, you know, it was always going to be an issue of how are we going to accommodate Kai Havertz in such a way that we're also playing our best system and enabling all of our good players rather than just building the team around Havertz. So... When when you're talking about a player who is so suited to a Bundesliga uh, kind of league, uh, a player who is elite playing in transitions and, you know, receiving on the half turn, uh, converting converting midfield receptions into final third entries and especially adept at receiving in the box and things like that. Um, mm. Where do you where do you fit this kind of player while playing your best style of football? I mean, intuitively, you'd think maybe a second striker or an advanced number 10 in a 4-2-3-1 or something like that. But... It seems like 4-3-3 is our best shape and we're not probably not going to move to a 4-2-3-1 to adapt Havertz. So what is the deal? Where does he fit? I mean, what was the reason he couldn't perform very well in yesterday's 4-3-3, given it was a very Bundesliga-ish game with a number of you know, turnovers and transitions um, that were vital to the game? Why did it not work out for Havertz yesterday? And is it just a matter of him... Co- having to take some time to adapt to that uh, right sentiment role? Um, I think so. I mean, he himself has said in the past that he sees his his uh, best position as being the number 10 role. You know, yeah, that's something that we're not allowed to forget. So yeah. um, that will, of course, be something that has to be kept in mind. Um but we don't play that system anymore. Yeah. Before, before we changed from the four-two-three-one to four-three-three, three, Havertz was, was blossoming in that position. But the team defensively was not sound. Um, yeah. We were leaky in defence. Mm-hmm. Um, it just didn't seem to click. You know, with Kante in that that sole pivot position it's just been fantastic you know he he does yeah. everything and this is kind of the cante of old which we missed last season and also to a degree under sorry i don't want to get into the whole sorry debate because it's ridiculous to even mention that you still see it sometimes absolutely <laughs> unnecessary but the point is here the team's clicking and while kai Havertz worked better for us in a four two three one we can't just change everything just for habits. You know, of course we can say, yeah, but you want to build around a player, but that's just not 
what this is anymore because the team's functioning at the moment and a 433 is the way to go. Lampard himself didn't know that. We all didn't know that. You, you know, it just worked. And he will have seen this in training, presumably, mm-hmm. or in, in his analysis. And it's working right now. And how to accommodate Kai Havertz will be important going forward. But it's not as integral for me to winning things this season as, um, for example, managing Thiago Silva to yeah. be always keen, kept healthy, to seeing when to really use or start uh, Olivier Giroud, you know, um, and these kind of questions where you might have heard it, the experienced players, how am I managing the experienced players in a very young side? And I think that will be key to us challenging for the Premier League. Hopefully, and this is, I know, very early, but mm-hmm. going far in the Champions League, which would be great. You know, it's been a while since we came to the semi-finals. And I think that's very much in there, considering the struggles of other teams this season, you know. <clears throat> so uh, <laughs> that that is great. But Kai Havertz is a long-term project. Yeah, And he has been struggling. And I think one of the most important issues that people seem to forget because, you know, he seemed to struggle off COVID yeah. uh, quite well. The effects that COVID can have on, and mostly does have on uh, professional athletes mm. can be devastating. And it seems that he's, you know gotten away with everything quite well he's he's uh fit again but the long-term issues and i don't want to go into detail here but from here where i live in st pelton uh in austria there have been professional athletes that have been contracting this and Mm -hmm. what it's done to the lungs it's it's unimaginable this this virus is deadly it's something that has to be taken very very seriously and we still don't completely know the long-term issues for everyone who has contracted covid and it's the same for team of uh, team of Werner, sorry kai havertz mm-hmm. uh you know he had this it's been a tough few weeks it seems as if he brushed it off with ease yeah. but we can't say that for sure you know every yeah. person reacts to this virus differently and yeah. that has to be kept in mind uh so Go easy on him. Uh, just disregard the the you know the rival fans bantering on about him being uh, a flop already, which is absolutely ludicrous. Yeah, he he is very silky. You know he, that he did show yesterday. He's very silky in his movements and his technique. But I'll agree with something that was said on, on I think match of the day yesterday. He there's a, he has to bring more urgency to his game. You know, yeah. he has to be more, you know, quicker in his his reactions and in his decision making because that is something that is absolutely essential to the Premier League, to establishing yourself yourself yeah. in the Premier League because that yeah. is uh, a key feat that if you want to see any of the good players, or great players in Premier League history, they had that decisiveness, yeah. quick thinking. That's something that he misses because it's cost him on uh, several occasions. And I think in, on one in the past, I can't remember, I think it was against West Brom where mm-hmm. we then conceded. Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah. 
So, yeah, that is something that he still has to cut out of his game. But he's so, so young and he's acclimatizing to a new league. He's not having it as easy as other players like Ziyech or, or who's, of course, older or Timo Werner, who's also a few years older, has to be kept in mind. Yeah. So, yeah, have to give the kid a break and he will come good. We all can see how, what he's capable of. But, um, yeah, how we accommodate him, that I can't really say because that's up to Lampard. I'm not the expert on that. Uh, it'll just take some time for him to grow into that number eight role. Um, he has more freedom there because Mason Mount does like, and N'Golo Conte in that, that kind of uh, com- combination. They do so much work. You know, they're everywhere. So I think that gives him more time to grow into the game, but uh, into his new position. But yeah, Mateo Kovacic is maybe the safer bet right now. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. Uh, yeah, and with that, I suppose we can take another short break and move on to the loan roundup, after which we will preview our next game. Welcome back to We Ain't Got No Podcast. And as uh, as we're attempting to do now, we will, I, I mean, I will run quickly run through some notable uh, loan E performances among our, I think, 20-odd strong loan army this season. Uh, I may probably be off the mark there, but I'm rusty, to be fair. Anyway, starting <laughs> off with the, starting off with goalkeepers, uh, Jamal Blackman and Jamie Cumming have um, firmly continued in starting for their respective sides, uh, Rotherham with Jamal Blackman and Stevenage in League 2 with Jamie Cumming. I think for Jamal Blackman, he's uh, just consolidating himself at championship level now. We all know that he can perform at that level. So it's just a question of him regaining momentum and by all accounts, he is doing decently. Uh, Jamie Cumming, on the other hand, is someone who's dominating advanced metrics uh, for goalkeepers in League 2. He is uh, top of the pile when it comes to shot stopping and also looking very good when it comes to coming out to claim passes in your area. So that's very promising for a keeper who has been on the fringes of our first team very recently. So hopefully he can push on from League 2 next season. Uh, Nathan Baxter has been at uh, Accrington Stanley and he hasn't really got, got a look in over there yet because... Um, Accrington Stanley has someone named Toby Savin, a young goalkeeper, starting uh, at the moment and doing quite well. So Nathan Baxter has a fight on his hands. Uh, actually, this, the Stanley manager, John Coleman, admitted in a recent interview that Baxter has been training incredibly well. And most managers would play him just on the basis of how well he was training. But just to create competition on the side, uh, Savin continues to start. And Baxter has a proper fight on his hands now. Uh, after three loan spells, Baxter has been... And now, now he's being heavily challenged for a starting place. So that's it with uh, with goalkeepers when it comes to defenders. Uh, some notable ones are uh, Mark Gohi, of course. Mark Gohi is doing very well for Swansea still, who remain a very defensively robust side, playing in a back three. Uh, it's mostly him, uh, Ben Cabango, another young centre-back, and Ryan Bennett, who was playing in the Premier League until last season. So Swansea City have... Uh, begun to be known for their generally defensive robust performances and Marco he's been a very big reason for that so he's doing very well he's uh, definitely keeping up his his um well definitely keeping up my preseason shout of him being among the best center backs in the english second tier and mm-hmm. long may that continue 
Uh, on the other hand, Jake Clark Salter, another centre back at Birmingham City, just returned from injury and played one game for Birmingham, uh, which they could not win, unfortunately. And now I think he's sustained another injury due to which he could not start their game yesterday. And oh, he's uh, it, it's a calf strain, according to transfermarket.com. So hopefully he should be back by the weekend and Jake Clark Salter should look to push on from his very impressive spell at Birmingham last season. Uh, and Ethan Ambaru, I'm not sure whether to class him as a defender or a defensive midfielder these days, but he's been playing a, a number of roles for Sheffield United. Sheffield United themselves have been um, struggling. They've been doing quite badly as of late. And Ethan Ampadu has, has been getting minutes somewhat as a consequence of injuries and uh, Chris Wilder looking to find the right solution in various positions. So I think the last game Ethan Ampadu played was against West Ham, where he played as the left centre-back. And he uh, he had to go off after 62 minutes because he got injured and then he missed the next game against West Brom. So I'm not, I'm not sure how how severe his injury is at the moment, but hopefully it won't be too long before he's back. Hopefully he's involved when Sheffield United play today. Uh, but if not, then hopefully the sooner the better. But as of now, he's uh, hopefully he's on track to finish with at least north of 1,000 Premier League minutes this season. Uh, moving on, let's talk about fullbacks, I suppose. So Ian Matson has been, he's uh, continuing to play quite well for Charlton Athletic. He's, he's become one of the first names on their team sheet, starting every game apart from one for which he was suspended. And he's been playing, um, he's been playing as a left winger, as a left back. And generally, he's, he's not played midfield yet, but I think that might happen at some point. But he's uh, obviously become very indispensable to Charlton Athletic aside looking to get promoted from League One. And he's done that very quickly. And that's uh, commendable, I think, for someone who has the physical uh, physical build that he does and, you know, adapting to the men's game at the tender age of 18. So Ian Matson at left back has been doing very well. Uh, we've talked about him before. I see him as a future Chelsea prospect. So hopefully he can continue that progression. And uh, Tariq Uwakwe, another one at Accrington Stanley, uh, spent some time out of the side, but he returned to the side yesterday and he got two assists. So that's that's been excellent. He was playing. He's been playing left wing back. Probably not one for the first team, but it is good to see him doing well. All the same, and going on to midfielders, then uh, we must start with Conor Gallagher, of course, who's uh, in the Premier League with West Brom. He has been again. He's been one of the first names on their team sheet. I think. Undisputedly, he's probably their best midfielder at this moment of time. He possesses the right mix of technical attributes and uh, physical tenacity and intensity. And Slavin Bilic absolutely loves him. Uh, Slavin Bilic has um, been saying very positive things about him in the last uh, couple of weeks. So all the all the right noises there. And he had a particularly impressive game against Tottenham in recent weeks in particular. So Conor Gallagher is doing very well and it's uh I don't think we've had a midfield prospect do that well in the Premier League before for us so as, as a loanee so this is obviously very promising and Ruben Loftus-Cheek has uh, been in and out of the side at Fulham he played against Manchester City yesterday and didn't do very well but to be fair Fulham playing against Manchester City was or is not the most conducive situation 
for Ruben Loftus-Cheek. Either way, he looks to be picking up some semblance of form at the very least because he uh, he had a positive contribution in their previous game where, well, in their previous but one eighth game where he came on against Everton uh, in the last 30 minutes of the game and scored a goal. So, and then he started the last, next game against Leicester and then Manchester City as well. So, hopefully Ruben will continue to play games for Fulham. And Lewis Baker over at Trabzonspor. I think uh, Trabzonspor had Eddie Newton, former Chelsea coach, long-time Chelsea coach and loan manager as their head coach. And Eddie Newton has been sacked in the recent weeks due to underperformance at the start of the season, which I think was quite harsh. And I think Turkish football is a bit crazy, but Eddie Newton has been sacked from Trabzonspor. But Lewis Baker has... um, He's surprisingly and fortunately continued playing games for the Turkish side. And recently he he chipped in with a goal contribution, I think in their last game against uh, Ankara Gucu, where he's played the whole 90 minutes and he scored a goal. So generally, um, d- despite Eddie Newton's sacking, Luis Baker has only spent one match without going the whole 90 minutes, uh, which was against Alan Yaspor uh, earlier in November. So apart from the that one game, he has played, he has started and finished 90 minutes in seven matches, assisting twice and scoring once. And so far, so good. I, I really hope that continues for him because he's uh, he desperately needs some career mem- momentum to go on for him. Um, John Russell, another midfielder, has been starting and playing games and getting a lot of shots away as a midfielder for Accrington Stanley. And he, he got dropped to the bench yesterday as Tariq Uwakwe came into the side and there was some reshuffling going on. But John Russell has uh, been doing quite well by all accounts. He was not the most heralded prospect uh, while he was in the academy, but his physical traits mean that he has adapted to senior football quite well. And lastly, moving on to attackers slash strikers. Um, I'm not going to talk about the likes of Batshuayi and Moses, given they probably won't play for us again. But... I am, however, going to talk about Armando Broja, who Ooh, is... Uh, looking forward to that. Oh, Jimmy, you're still here. Hi. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah I, I've been keenly listening as everyone else. Uh, I've been waiting for this for a long time. Sorry to, <laughs> to just budge in here. Uh, and I've been very much looking forward to Broja. Yeah, thank you, my friend. Uh, Armando Broja has been playing very, very well for Vitas Arnhem. He's uh, become an undisputed starter for them, which which has been a very positive development in his overall trajectory, given he wasn't an automatic automatic starter as soon as he joined Vitas. But he has, um, he's again, it feels kind of cliche to say this, but it's probably a credit to the, to the kids going out on loan at the moment that he has also established himself as uh, almost one of the first names on the team sheet at Vitas. And he has been scoring goals at a very good rate. So, talking about he's um, scored what five at this point? He scored. I'm just uh, I'm gonna have to double check that. But uh, Broja has played eleven games at this point, and he's he's been showing immense improvement with every passing week. So he has scored five goals in just over 600 minutes 
which I think uh, doing some very quick math is one goal in about just over 120 minutes, maybe 125, 126. So he's scoring at a very good rate. He's getting chances in every game, which is the most important thing. And he's the way he's been improving has been excellent because he he's not he's not just shown himself as a you know fox in the box poacher kind of striker, uh, but he's also contributing a lot outside of the penalty area. He shows an adeptness at receiving the ball in advanced areas, and he receives out wide a lot actually. And given that he has such a tall frame, he he's he's over 190 centimeters in height, I think, but he possesses an absolutely rapid turn of pace to his game. And it allows him to beat players very easily. So he's a very strong runner and he uses physicality and his pace to beat players very easily. And he's also, for someone for his who has his size, he's very good at retaining the ball in crowded spaces and fending off like two or three defenders at a time as well. So these are all very promising signs. I think that once uh, Praja kind of uh, I don't know hits the gym more and kind of fills out in terms of his uh, in terms of his muscle muscle mass. I think he's he's going to be a, an absolute weapon at uh, in in English football. So I I absolutely believe that he's going to keep scoring goals in the Eredivisie. He looks much better than my recollection of Dominic Solanke when he was playing for for Betas. And yeah, long may it continue. Ten goals in uh, I mean five goals in eleven appearances and. Going very strong. I would uh, prime him for a championship move at this point next year, maybe, if this continues. So, Proja, yeah. Proja and Gallagher and Ampadu, probably among uh, the most exciting prospects we have on loan at the moment, in addition to Jamie coming. So, that's it for this week's, of the, this week's edition of the Loan Roundup. I have uh, rambled on for probably eight minutes straight, which, is, which has got to be a record for me uh, in, in, in all spheres of life. So... <laughs> Yeah, I enjoyed it. <laughs> Thank you. That's <laughs> uh, to be said. Yeah, so I suppose we can uh, do do a quick preview of our next game then, Jimmy. Oh, yeah. Well, whom are we playing next? Well, Ram, that is a very good question. <laughs> While I try to get some time so that I can look at the fixture list. Yeah, it's Krasnodar. <laughs> of course it is. And then yeah. after that, it'll be Everton. Uh, yeah. As we won't be probably recording before the Everton game. Um, I'd like to say we'll try, but it's crazy times. Um, We'll have to wait and see. We will be able to talk about both. I mean, the Krasnodar game is a pretty, pretty clear situation. I mean, we have won the group. Um, This will be a game of complete rotation if you ask me this is this is the game where billy gilmore starts Mm -hmm. absolutely absolutely certainly has to start um lampard which quite to all of our surprise i'd say rotated heavily against sevilla last week or still this week but when we play krasnodar last week um so i'd expect him to do very much the same against krasnodar so starts for the likes of Callum Hudson-Odoi, hopefully Fikao Tomori, though I'll say Antonio Rudigan and Andres Christensen, although I was absolutely terrified when I saw that on the team sheet. <laughs> Hell, you know, yeah. by all means, play them again because it does seem as if Fikao Tomori will be going on loan. 
Um, yeah, Emerson, same. You know, play Emerson, play play Azpilicueta, play all the fringe players, and most importantly, play Billy Gilmore. This is the perfect game at home for him to return to uh, first team duties. I mean, of course, he has been training, but this this he has to start. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, definitely. I think uh, this game represents a huge opportunity for Lampard to rest his players after an insanely intense game uh, against Leeds, where we where we became the first team in the league to outrun them. By the way, according to according to the Premier League post game show, so yeah, I mean the the group has been won. Krasnodar have qualified for the Europa League as well in a somewhat surprising turn of events. So. There's uh, neither side has much to play for at the moment, and it it I come comes back to my point of it re- represents a perfect opportunity to rotate the entire side and give um, some players minutes that desperately need them and maybe even a debut or two. Who knows? So um, how about we before we close we go about trying to predict the lineup. Um, <laughs> I'll say I'll, I'll I'll go first. I think I think Kepa will probably start in goal. Hello, oh, Kepa. Uh, hello again. <laughs> uh, and and I mean I, I feel for the guy now. He at least ah, yeah. deserves to be played in this game. So yeah, Kepa starts in goal, and Aspilicueta gets a run out a right back. Uh, Andreas Christensen, Antonio Rudiger. As much as I like Tomorrow to be playing, I think he'll be going out on loan. Uh, so, Christensen and Rudiger in defence. Left back Emerson, since he is clearly the preferred option to Alonso at the moment, plus back four and everything. So, that's a back four. I expect them to keep the 4-3-3 shape. So, or wait, do I? Mm, perhaps it's Billy Gilmore, Mateo Kovacic, and... Who else? Interesting. Jimmy, that's an interesting one. I think um yeah. let's say yeah, let's say let's say it's Billy Gilmore, Mateo Kovacic, and right. Jorginho in midfield. I don't know how that's gonna work, but maybe maybe in a four three three with uh Billy Gilmore as an eight or something. He's a better eight than Jorginho, that that I'm sure of. So that could happen. And then a front three of Tammy Abraham, given Jeru started the last match. Mm. And Callum hudson Adoy and Christian Pulisic starting alongside him. I think just uh, as, as a wild card for debuts, let's pick maybe two players who could see debuts. I mm. I will go for Tino Anjorin and Oh, yes. And the, the other one is actually a pretty interesting choice because who is the other obvious person waiting to break break into the side? I'll say Louis Bate. Louis Bate has a um, been putting in some exceptional performances in midfield for the Chelsea development squad in in recent weeks, and he's a he's a midfielder who can do it all really, despite possess, despite possessing the physical stature of Billy Gilmore, so much physical intensity to his play, uh, ability to turn at the drop of a hat, incredible passing range, and he has been involved with the first team before, Jimmy, as you'll remember, towards mm. the tail end of last season. So, he yeah, was, I'm just yeah. Pick, picking those two for uh, maybe you know a proper academy day. Uh, at Krasnodar. <laughs> so, I mean, I haven't been able to follow the development squad as much as I like to. Yeah. Um, but 
correct me if I'm wrong in saying that Liveramento has been mm. playing in the more attacking role recently. Yeah, yes. yeah. So given that Hakim Ziyech is currently injured, uh, mm-hmm. Pulisic has just come back from injury, yeah. uh, we are a bit light in that department. Let's be completely honest here. Because if we exclude Timo Werner, who is actually a striker, we have two wingers right now. Mm-hmm. Which is a bit scary because I do not want to see those days coming back and base mount on the wing. Yeah. Um, so maybe, maybe he might give the likes of Liveramento uh, a start in the wing. I mean, of course, he could play Tino Timo Andorin on the wing, which I hope he doesn't because that's not really <laughs> a role yeah. where he sells at. Yeah. Um, at least not to my understanding. So yeah, um, that that might be an interesting choice as well. But Lewis Bate, of course, is a very good bet, no doubt. Don't about yeah. that. Yeah, brilliant. Uh, do you wanna do you wanna have a crack at your starting lineup, or would you agree with mine? <laughs> I I would agree with yours. I think it's yeah. an, an unnecessary to you know say say it again because there's not really any other options there. I mean, theoretically, you could make a case for. Um, uh, Tomori may be starting despite possibly leaving in January yeah. but otherwise you know you're right about Kepa if we can't even play him in the games which are you know dead rubber as this it's, yeah. it's you know it, come on I mean we want to somehow be able to get you know get price fetch a price for him that's right and this is the kind of game where you want to do that because Willie Caballero he's you know, as much as I really do like Caballero, um, there's no point playing him. You know, I, this is probably going to be his last season for Chelsea. Yeah. And uh, he's at his age, he's just back up to the backup. And, you know, I'm sure there will be the comics again who will be voting for Petr Cech in the community lineup. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, th- th- this isn't going to happen. You know, maybe... Maybe at the end of the season or so when Chelsea's won the league already, then he might start Peter Jack just for, uh, pardon my French, shits and giggles. But for now, it makes absolutely no sense to play anyone else than Kepa in goal like that, you know, in these kind of games. Otherwise, you know, no matter the game, you will always play Martin D anyway. So, yeah. I, I I I think that is a very sound lineup and a good shout, definitely. And uh, yeah, it's a different different situation maybe for the Everton game, where I feel like we have to go full strength once again. I mean, we're playing away, and um, yeah, it's it's, it's <laughs> not going to be easy. Carlo Ancelotti, uh, fantastic coach. I'm very glad to see him do well in England again um after a bit of a patchy run with Bayern yeah uh, of late well of late it's been a while again but <laughs> yeah, yeah um it's just it's it's good to see that Carlo's doing good and uh, he's doing good he's doing well forgive me uh but it's it's going to be a tricky tricky affair and they they have a very strong team they improved in departments where they needed reinforcements, just like Chelsea, and yeah, be be a tough tough tie. Yeah, we we'll have to win. See, I mean, 
lineup wise, I'd go with the same as yesterday, uh, apart from Pulisic playing for Zayek. And uh, yeah, that kind of leaves me in the pickle because uh, I'd really want to see um, Olivier. Well, actually, no, that still that works. Of course, it does work. Team around the left and Shiru down the middle. Mm-hmm. And uh, Pulisic on the right. Yeah. So, yeah, I'd go with the same lineup as yesterday, apart from that one change, which has been forced. Yeah. What do you say? Yeah, I would too. I would too, I guess. And I think uh, it's uh, probably not going to be an easy game. So, no. <laughs> it's, uh, it should be should be quite interesting because we have... Uh, We've struggled against setups like Everton's in in the recent past, so mm. it should be interesting to see how we deal with them. Given we just played a side that plays a completely different style of football to them, and did quite well, so I, I think our squad is inherently more suited to playing, um, you know, these bossy ball games instead of mm-hmm. something somewhere where you need to break down against a physically competitive opponent with attackers that can really hurt you like Everton do, and now especially they have Hamas. So, anyway, yeah, I, I would go with yeah entirely the same lineup as you. Not much difference there. So, yeah, hopefully uh, hopefully we can sneak a win over there and take back Goodison. Uh, not that it was ours, but yeah. <laughs> I think... Well, we have struggled there, yeah. We have, definitely, yeah. That was uh, what I meant to say, but just came out wrong. Anyway, that those are our next two fixtures and hopefully Jimmy we will be back to discuss them uh, before the next seven or eight matches elapse unlike last time <laughs> yeah I mean yeah. as as we're coming to a close in this this um, this podcast I think footballing aside um, Ram uh, you've of course had uh, a lot to do with your uni, uh, uni um <laughs> applications and it's been tricky to you know come together time wise because of the different time zones i think that's something that people do forget also yeah. we're organizing guests as many of you are from america yeah. i'm in europe and rams in india try coordinating that that isn't <laughs> always easy and uh yes uh, i've also started work uh, earlier this year and i had to take over a complete area branch of our of our department uh for on my own since november because of uh well uh, the colleague who i was joining in uh, working on this 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 field uh he he's gone until the end of december because he uh became a father which is nice for him uh but a lot of work for me so it's been very difficult to find time other than actually watching the games uh in recent times but you know this is all in addition to a global pandemic which has changed all of our lives if we're completely honest in one way or another uh times post-covid will not be the same as before whether that be in our personal lives or in football and that's just something we have to deal with. And the most important thing, you know, football's great and all, but is to stay safe. And at this point, when we end the podcast, I will say the same as I have in the past. Stay safe, people. Uh, take it seriously and try to enjoy the football as somewhat of a 
balance to your uh, daily routines of staying at home <laughs> in lockdown yeah. as it has become a, we we have become accustomed to and yeah we want to say thank you for listening and staying uh, with us despite our lapses in time uh, where we haven't been able to record as frequently as we'd like to and uh, yeah we hope you enjoyed today we certainly did uh, can not highlight enough how much I enjoyed hearing that loan roundup uh, <laughs> that's something always to look forward to and yeah I'm rambling here so we're gonna end things off uh, this week uh, it's been a fantastic few weeks of football for Chelsea Football Club and long may it continue that's all from us I say goodbye and thank you Ram once again, and we'll see you or hear you all next time. Bye-bye.